Hello, welcome to the Donmar Warehouse podcast. As you may know from previous episodes, during the run of Far Away, Fiona Mountford was hosting a series of panel discussions exploring the work and legacy of Carol Churchill. Now, we didn't get to host this final talk in the theatre, I'm sure you can guess why, but nonetheless, with everyone staying in their homes, we have assembled an exceptional panel of artists to discuss how Carol Churchill has influenced their practice. So joining Fiona on this episode are writers Juliet Jokes-Romero and Lucy Kirkwood, along with the production's director, Lindsay Turner. We're very grateful that they were up for this remote podcast recording and delighted to be able to share their insights with you now. Lindsay, Lucy, Juliet, thank you very much for joining me. It's a real pleasure to be talking to the three of you today. You too, Fiona. Yeah. <laughs> we're all here. Hooray, we're all here across <laughs> the airwaves. That's reassuring to know. <laughs> I'd like the three of you, please, to start us off by jumping right in and giving us an opening statement of intent. Just a couple of lines, something for us to unpick further as we go along. What makes Carol Churchill so important a writer? I think it's her element of surprise. And I think that's what keeps people coming back to her work and makes it long lived. And I think that writers need to be able to challenge audiences and keep them on their toes. Lovely element of surprise. I like that very much. That's a splendid one. Lovely. Thanks, Julia. Lovely. Lucy, Julia, uh, Lucy, Lindsay, any thoughts on that? Uh, um, uh. For, for my money, the, th the thing about her, she's got an unparalleled ability compared to any other writer of her generation or any other to express um, the spirit of the, the particular time she is writing in through metaphor rather than through uh, literalism. Um, I was having a, a, a email conversation with an assistant director last week and they, he was saying how he was fearful that we were about to get this huge spate of coronavirus plays and <laughs> hope would be that in, actually the, the Carol Churchill way into it is to actually we're all suddenly experiencing a completely different sense of time and that is exactly the, you know that, that that would be the Churchillian response I imagine to the coronavirus rather than lots of plays about being in lockdown it's about how has time been affected by yes. um, Okay. how we're living or being forced to live now so uh, so I think that the fact that she thinks in such, such with such brilliance and such verve in a profoundly metaphorical way is the thing that a gives her longevity and b makes her important and c makes her just a, a, tr a truly great artist that's I love that yes one, one one hears of all the sort of the plays that are being prepared about coronavirus the sort of loo roll chronicles and feels slightly weary but Carol Churchill's response you're right that would be something really worth listening to wouldn't it because it would it would be not what we're expecting absolutely yeah that's great Lindsay what what about an opening statement from you on that well I'm I'm the non-writer on the call um but I, and I, I, I don't know what makes anybody important, but one of the things I love most about her writing is that she asks the audience to write with her. Um, and okay. I find that completely thrilling, both as an audience member and as a director. Well, okay. Well, these are great statements. I, I'm writing them all down and trying not to hear my make my pen tap on the desk. But that's I love the element of surprise that the metaphorical take on everything and asking the audience to write with her. I think that's a splendid start. Lindsay, I'd like to come to you now, please. When you were preparing for this production of Far Away, 
What in particular did you feel it was saying to us, to our world in 2020? I, I suppose what I'm asking is, why revive it now? Uh, because the Donmar Warehouse were bold enough to programme it. Um, <laughs> That's a good answer. A 42-minute play with the second hardest stage direction of all time <laughs> isn't a natural um, uh, go-to for anybody's opening season. But Mike Longhurst, who's the new boss of the Donmar, uh, he did it. And I feel like it hasn't had a major London revival since it premiered in 2000. And that's not remotely a comment on the, the work, but the sheer producing context. It doesn't want to be in a double bill. No. Um, it just wants to be absolutely itself. But to have the um, gumption to um, convene that play at a London theatre, we're knowing what it, what it entails to, to even just pull off Act 2, Scene 5. Um, becomes the, the the why now. I don't think there's ever going to be a bad time to revive no. it. Just um, remind us, you say the second most important stage direction, presumably after certain bears. Oh, remind, yeah, just in terms of that pure... pure reminds what the stage direction is. What, how does it read? What does it say? I think it's... Uh, I'm doing this from memory. It says something like a parade of prisoners, ragged, beaten, chained, um, walk through the stage... Again, completely from memory, but something like um, 20 is better than 10, 50 better than 20, 100, question mark. <laughs> there we go. That's, that's a small challenge for it. But you're right. My goodness me. And so, as Lucy was saying in the start, Carol Churchill sort of speaks to all, all the times. But does, does, does Far Away speak to us in any particular way now in 2020? Or is it as relevant as it's always been? I'm not sure. Um, I suppose one of the things that um, I learned from one of the actors in the play is the appetite for audience members to um, corner the actors in corridors after the show and to check that they got the right meaning from it. Okay. Um, and uh, this was Simon, uh, who played Todd superbly. Um, and his his take on, on all of that was to not engage in, in conversation and to say, you saw what you saw, you heard what you heard, you felt what you felt. You, you have all of the play inside you now. And you don't need the cheat codes or the meaning or the answers at the back of the textbook <laughs> because, because you just did it. And it will come back into your consciousness tomorrow and you will re-burp it in a week's time, in a month's time, in 10 years' time. I don't yes. think the acting company were quite expecting to um, end the run we're looking at an audience at that really, really intimate space um, and seeing that it was half empty and of the audience who had turned up, half of them were in face masks. So they didn't expect that particular journey across, um, across the run. But I don't think there's ever going to be a bad time to do far away. Lucy, Julia, what resonances in particular does far away have for you now um when i watched it for example i was struck all over again by the sheer horror inherent in short lines such as mallards are not a good water bird they commit rape and they're on the side of the elephants and the koreans i, I was reminded all over again of the power of of language in those short lines but i wonder lucy juliet what, what does it say to you I'm happy to to jump in. So I I was lucky to see the the, the production at the the Royal Court that um, Stephen Doldry 
um, directed um, when I was doing an MA in writing for performance. And for me, it was a real game changer. Um, that, that last act when nature is turning on itself, for me, was like the explosion of the history of violence. Um, but because for me, far away, it's, so it's divided into like three acts seen through, through um, childhood and then, you know, the juvenile and then the adult. And the adult has absolutely no agency, can only report these extraordinary um, things that they're seeing. There were piles of bodies. And if you stop to find out, there was one killed by coffee or one killed by pins. They were killed by heroin, petrol, chainsaws hairspray and I think one of the reasons why it affected me so deeply is because you know I've I've been a foreign affairs reporter um in the past and I've worked in 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 war zones and I've seen um terrible things where it does feel like nature is in revolt so what a wonderful way and, and an amazing way to express it that is memorable um, and metaphorical, as, as, as Lucy said before, and really unforgettable. Yes, that's well, that's what. So you you've sort of seen this play live played out in 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 situations. Okay, that's ex Lucy. That's wonderful, Lucy. Do you have any thoughts on on any on the resonances it has now? I think I think it's got so many different resonances and 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 there's I mean for a start there's the I think the, the fact we live in a in an age of um information overload but also it's very difficult to unpick that information to feel like you're fully understanding the truth of what is happening in the world um so you know that the, the conversations we've all of us uh, you know everyone has, has probably has through their lifetimes about different things you know you look at the the you know the question of the war in Iraq or Brexit all those things were all bringing different preconceived narratives to the table and trying to assess sort of the other bits of information we're getting from the news or commentary against them and you know the, there were no weapons of mass destruction but also the Ba'ath regime were really terrible and blah, 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 blah. you're constantly kind of trying to do these moral n negotiations with yourself to understand whether you're on the side of the right or the wrong yes. and everyone wants to conceive of themselves as being on the side of the right. Um, and and that's and, and what Carol Churchill um, seems to understand profoundly to me, to me is that is that is the terrible danger of that of always conceiving of yourself, yourself as being on the side of the, the angels, um, and even I really like how Juliet talked about the three acts being sort of child, um, adolescent, and grown up, and I've always really admired the way she takes, although it's an, uh, an abstracted play in some ways, she takes three sort of moments that we've all experienced as as any living human being being as in you know you waking up in the night frightened flirting with someone at work taking your partner home to meet your parental figure for the first time which is they happen to happen in increasingly um strange circumstances but through all of that if there is a, if there is a you know to use sort of awful Robert McKee language if there is one journey through it you're following um um, you're following Harper and um, that I find it found it interesting this time re-watching it how in Lindsay's production that girl was really she wanted to be convinced even as a child she like she sniffed that, that she was being lied to but all of us to some extent want to be convinced that the people who are 
uh, governing us or in charge of us or our parental yeah. figures are doing everything for the right reasons. Yes, and that scene yeah. shows us how quick we are to be reassured that they are, even if all the evidence points the other way. Um, that has a particular resonance for the kind of couple of the couple of weeks we find ourselves in now. Yes, we want our authority figures actually to have the right answers, don't we? Yeah. yeah Can I right. just say that it feels like the truth is being infantilized, and we see that in the first act. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. with our children we're not being told the truth yes um, you know we're living in a, in a post-truth world where people decide what is the truth and and as a result of, of populism as well you know it's like you know the distrust of, of of the mainstream media um you know distrust of 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 facts the child harper knows what she's hearing and you know and and, and adult is is um try to cover, hide from her um, the truth of what's going on. And I, I think there's so many parallels in politics today. Um, yes, Harper sort of, she, she knows really without, without, knowing, without knowing explicitly, but she knows the truth, doesn't she, right at the beginning. And yet she's sort of trying, she's, she's, she's happy to be reassured in some mm -hmm. way, but she knows deep down what really, what the truth is. And mm -hmm. yeah. Lindsay, this is the first sorry excuse me this is the third major carol churchill revival you've directed after light shining in buckinghamshire and top girls both at the national i wonder what keeps drawing you back to her work well i never saw those plays so um i had to direct them um in, order, go, to, in order to see them i wasn't lucky enough to see that um production that um juliet did. i'd love to have seen that yeah mo mostly i make stuff so i can watch it Okay, um, um, but it, it strikes just on that on that last point. I think we're confusing Harper's name with Joan's name, um, which is only going to trip us up later. Um, do you know what? I hesitated because I was like, I'm about to get this wrong, and I <laughs> yeah. no, it's, it's just going to stuff us later. Um, there's another way of looking at it. If you if you put it into the context of something like Seven Jewish Children, instead of talking about who's lying and who's telling the truth. I think one of the things that's, that's amazing about that first scene is, um, on Lucy's point, just a, a kid has woken up in the middle of the night. And so the first objective of the older character is just to get that kid back into bed. Mm. Um, and we tried in the rehearsal room playing it as if it's the great big epic showdown between innocence and experience or um, uh, the child being inducted into the adult world. And do you know what? That's too heavy for the first couple of pages of the scene. Mm -hmm. uh, it just needs right. to start from something simple, like get the kid back into bed. And when you compare it to um, Seven Jewish Children, there's a couple of scenes there, which is about, well, how do you protect a kid from the adult world? So I'm not just saying this book cats among pigeons, but it's one thing to conceive of the first act of Far Away as an exercise in you know, fake news or information or power imbalance. But it's another thing to, to look at it and say, well, how do you protect the kid from the fact that she's probably seen some grim old stuff outside? Yes. And at, and at what point did the scales tip where you go, do you know what? For the good of your uh, sleep, in order to prevent nightmares, why don't I just bring you on board what we're doing? And why don't I just end the scene by reassuring you that, like, well, you're on the side of the good. Yes. Um, and when the, when the kid... Um, goes in for that idea they go all in like we all go all in um, 
the, the bit at the end where it says your soul will expand into the sky. Yeah. Um, yeah. Once, once you're in, you're in for life. And that's the means by which you can get to the act two, where you can be thinking more about the, um, um, not this, but metaphorically, more about how there should be more vegan options in the canteen than exactly where your hat goes at the end of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And that's exactly. why you don't have to spend any of the act three going, away goodies. Mm. Um, you, you can just um, try and sort the world into two columns um, uh, things that are on our side and things that are not on our side I think that's the masterstroke um, uh, of it all and yeah. I, li- I like to imagine like finally and I'll shut up but there's a parallel play like in the baddie camp they're doing the exact same play and yes. they're the goodies Yes. What I love about what you've just said, Lindsay, when I saw your production, you could hear a pin drop during that 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 first act, and I think it's I'm going to try to say this word. It's it was your perhaps your specificity about trying to get a child back into bed, um, because there was the it, it was just amazing to watch. It was there was the horror of it, but I do spend a lot of time also watching the audience, and. Um, they they were so engrossed in that um, because you know most of them have had children and would have probably sat there wondering how do you do that in those circumstances? Yes, that's uh, yes. Getting a child to yes, getting a child to go back to bed and then sort of the horrors of the world are maybe hidden behind that. That's yeah. I think that's that's a lot to think about there. I, I just quickly, I think the line that Lindsay mentioned about the soul expanding is a really, a really crucial one because actually I don't think I, well, I change my mind every time I read it or see it, but I don't really know if the, our characters are the goodies or the baddies. And but the key thing is it sort of doesn't matter, as Lindsay said, but the, the, the line about the soul is what I think she does, rec- Churchill recognises, which is something which is perennial, is that people always want to belong to something bigger than themselves, be part of something bigger than themselves. And that's the gift that she's, that she's given in that scene, is to be part of something which is important. And we see that happening. That, that's, how, that, that's, how these, that's how any kind of movement works, isn't it? You feel like you're part of a bigger story. Yes. And that's what we see. Like the bedtime story being told in that first act is... is it puts the, it's like one of those you know those books when you get your own name printed in them where like you're, you're yeah. the character in this story now yes um, young Joan you're not the heroine of your own yes yes yeah. yeah and she recognizes that all, all of us have a need to feel whether that's because we're part of the Don Mars theatre company or because we are part of the United Kingdom we or because we're part of IS we all need to feel those things at some point yes that's uh, that, that's that's wonderful. No, that's thank you. That's super. I'd I'd like the three of you now to go back in time, please, to your very first experience, or perhaps first formative experience, of the work of Carol Churchill, of, of something of hers that you either read or saw. I, I wondered what play was it, and what was its specific impact? That play, seeing it or reading it, what was its specific impact on you? Lucy, perhaps we could start with you on that one. Gosh, I might need to vamp for time. (laughs) Um, Anyone else jump in? Juliet or Lindsay? A formative Carol Churchill experience. What? What? what, How did it make you feel? What was? What was its impact in that moment? Um, I I, um, 
I, I also saw Top Girls, I think it was at um, the Old Witch Theatre. Um, so I'm really going back in time. And again, I, I, I'd taken a sabbatical away from the newsroom and to, to kind of like learn about theatre. And I, I, I thought I was kind of well read at the time and I'd never heard of Carol Churchill or Atul Fugard and these amazing people. So it was such an education for me. And I, I thought Top Girls was an amazing play, but it really, that really made me want to write. Um, more than anything, um, I, I was I was very interested in in um, her her kind of like um, investigation of, of feminism. But I, I have to be really honest; I, I didn't see myself um, represented on stage, and I sorely wished that um, there could have been, you know, a, a, a mythological or historical black woman invited to this this dinner party. What what it made me realise was that I really had to go away and write the stories that I wanted to see on stage. Okay. So in a sense, the, that experience empowered me to find my voice and to 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 to, to write um, because it, it, it's you know I I was I mean I think I was there and I must have been like one of the only black people in the audience at the time and. You know, I, I I thought this this is great, but you know, um, black women have been involved in the feminist movement, and you know, some of the first suffragettes were runaway slaves who were demanding the right to vote, and um, we don't hear about that, and we don't get to see that. So it, it I found it empowering because it made me realise that I want to be in this party. I want to be able to do what Carol Churchill does, or at at, at least try. And, um, and have a voice. Sure, that's 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 great, Juliet. Thank you, Lindsay. Any formative formative Carol Churchill moment for you? Uh, oh yeah, loads. I've been reading her for years, and then I used to teach a bit and ran a drama group, and we used to do scenes because often, if you have a drama group and there's more girls in it than boys, it's tough to try and find the scenes to play around with. But Carol's work is stuffed full of um, uh, companies that are more female than male. So there's a bit of that. But I suppose mine would be, I was the assistant director on Drunk Enough to Say I Love You at the Royal Court. So after all of that reading and all of that falling in love with the writer, I just found myself in the corner of a rehearsal room um, making the tea on um, the premiere of... Uh, one of her plays at the Royal Court, directed by uh, James MacDonald, who is like, the most tender and sensitive interpreter um, of her work. And I got to, I suppose, reconcile a version of the woman I felt I had come to understand as a writer on the page with the human in the in the room. Um, and I learned so much from her as a theatre maker, um, as as well as a writer. So what that did, was, I know she I know Carol came into your rehearsals for this production, didn't she? So what what's it like having her in the room when you are working on a play of hers? What what what, what is it like? Tell us about that. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's great. She's just a fantastic colleague, just exactly what you would hope for um, in a colleague, and everything's interesting. Absolutely everything um, yields meaning and um, from what people wear to um, bodies in space to how the, how the piece is lit. But you, you, you couldn't wish for a better colleague. 
does she have firm views on 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 how her work should be done or is she very open to to ideas bouncing it around collaboration that sort of thing um yeah she's a great collaborator okay and does she come to all rehearsals or just sort of drops in and out I think it depends on the, the the piece. I wouldn't be the best person to ask about this. I think in a in a premiere, she'd be resident, okay. um, but maybe a different protocol for a revival. But but you'd you'd need to ask her that. Okay. I wonder if the, if we might, the three of you now might try to assemble a few bullet point notes. If it would be a little bit reductive, but if we think of a few bullet points on what Carol's impact. On British theatre has been over the past few decades. Obviously, we could talk about this in great, 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 great detail, and we will discuss it in more detail. But if we could flag up a few headline points, I mean, I was thinking when I was thinking about this, I thought I would start by flagging up the continuing and wide-ranging experiments with form. If somebody said, "What's the most important point you would you would make?" I would make that. That's what would strike me first of all. I wonder what would come straight away to your minds, the three of you. I think I'd, I'd probably re- return to a version of, of my fir- my f- opening gambit, which which is that I, I'm deeply grateful for her uh, in a culture that it, um, has increasingly rewards plays where what the play is about is stated three times in, in, a, in a sentence, and that's how you know what's about, and that's why you think it's a good play. She is someone who is, as Lindsay says, making the audience right with her. She's she sees theatre as a collaborative, creative act. And it's really, and I just think that's one of the most important contributions that that a writer can 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 make to to the culture right now is to insist on it being um, an act of collaboration rather than 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 um, a one way street. That's well, following on from that. My next question is: it follows exactly on from your point, Lucy Juliet. We say, could we say that the existence of Carol Churchill's work, the canon of her plays, has been liberating for playwrights? So, feeding back into to what Lucy has just been saying, has it has it opened up new vistas, new possibilities, new ideas? I, I definitely think it has, um, and and also she 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 has raised the bar um, in terms of, as, as Lucy was saying, you know, in terms of. Um, how she writes, um, I think um, the, the surprises that she uses in her writing and in structure, um, you know, it's, uh, I, and I, I find that really inspiring and it makes me want to challenge myself. Um, and, I, and again, I think this is what audiences really love. And, and the other thing that I really respect about her is that she's, she just keeps on going. She keeps writing, you know, um, and I think that's a, a, a very powerful thing and, and a wonderful thing. And so that younger generations will keep meeting her work. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't kind of just stop at a certain decade. Um, she's um, as, as sharp and as, as fresh with her ideas and the way she presents them um, for the stage. And, and I think that is something to be truly appreciated. Also, I think um, I agree with everything Juliet just said and, and the, I, I think it's about her sense of the visual is really is, is one of the things I most celebrate about her as well. And I think people often think that playwrights sort of write dialogue and then and then the directors bring the amazing images and often they do. But but I think in terms of what she's contributed to what theatre looks like and the, the, the particular kind of um, moments in the history of theatre she's contributed, you go, you know, starting with the Hat Parade, which is a defining image of, I think, 
you know theatre in the last 20 years um and and but but her work is just kind of suffused with them whether it's that the image of that dinner party or it's the woman in Fen getting killed and walking through the door again, or it's um, the Scriker who is just, uh, and, and, you know, as Lindsay says, she writes these brilliantly provocative stage directions, like toads coming out of people's mouths. And (laughs) there's just, there's so many kind of really crystalline images that she's just offered up. She just offers up on the page. And as a provocation to remind all writers that you are responsible for, the, the images on the stage as well as the words being said that theatre is a three-dimensional art form that is she's she a leader in that I think now you say saying those images I'm, you're mentioning them a little the dinner party scene they're just playing through my head a sort of diorama of them it's yeah that's that's really that's really interesting Lindsay what would you say about this visual the visual world that that her work offers well as a director has that been important to you yeah, I mean, it's completely thrilling. But even more than that is she would be happy if you delivered the toad via a toad or the toad via a beanbag with two googly eyes um, uh, sewn on it. It's not images as pure spectacle and it's not images as a function of capitalism, if you see what I mean, like chuck money at this. Yes. Um it, it, it's 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 not about quote unquote the wow factor. It's just about um, how stories are told, and I think it's got the imagination of uh, a, a child. Um, so many kids, usually kids who can't sleep in her her work, but it's got the the same sort of possibility as a seven year old goofing around with two socks, um, <laughs> and so I I find that. I find that really, really, really thrilling. I suppose, you know, if we were making a list as well, one of the one of the things that I value in it is the way that the work tends to displace um, uh, the centre. So, for instance, um, in Light Shining in Buckinghamshire, you've got all of this revolution going on. And, and the, the drama that you'll read in the history books is the drama about Charles and Cromwell and um, the corridors of power and this archbishop going over to this side. But she won't write any of that. She'll um, write two women who've just um, had their first go on a big country house and found their first shard of mirror, Um, or um, a woman speculating on whether she should leave a baby on a doorstep because of the coming famine. Um, And in Top Girls, she might be wanting to talk about Thatcher being in power, but to start with just the idea that a woman's been promoted at a relatively small employment agency somewhere near Hoban. Yes, um, yes. And in Far Away in particular, the fact that she doesn't situate you in the war room or in the Cobra meeting. Yes. Um, or in the um, uh, newspaper editor's office. She's never where the drama used to think it self where where the drama thought it was yes Um, she she's where the big stuff ripples out to that's yes you and and then therefore the non-center becomes the new center of the drama doesn't it that's absolutely it and i mean it's like it, it makes your work in rehearsals phenomenally complicated and really juicy because you've got to build the center 
Um, but you're not going to ask any of your actors to play the centre. Like they're not the newspaper editor and they're not Cromwell and they're not Charles and they're not this and they're not that. So you kind of got to work out what's going on in the, in the centre um, of, of the play and then don't direct that play, direct the one she's written. <laughs> yeah, and sort of abstractly filter it down to the non-centre and then do that play. That's, that's uh, I like that idea very much. The, yeah, the non-centre, that's, that's great. Sadly, for, for whatever reason, Carol Churchill is not quite as widely celebrated as some of her male playwriting peers. Now, when I was talking to Dominic Cook and Lynn Gardner on this topic, I asked them whether they spied the dead hand of the patriarchy at work here. And they thought it, they thought it was part of the answer, definitely part of the answer. I wonder what your, the views of the three of you on this would be. I think we can say she's not possibly at the sort of household name playwright that some of her peers are. And I wonder what we thought the reasons for that might be. I think it's, it's, it's probably 50-50, the fact that partly she does, um, she seeks to further the form uh, or, or does further the form whether she seeks to or not. And therefore what she's writing is not, she's not, she's not writing mainstream work and large audiences tend to, be drawn to uh, things which are in much more familiar genres or tropes or, 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 or ways that they that, that that are more accessible. That's not to patronise large audiences, but that's just what happens. Um, second of all, I think that yeah, that that she she's not just. I don't think it's just her being a female writer. I think it's her having um, uh, locating the drama to use Lindsay's phrase in the female in female experience so often. Um, and I think that that is um, we still have an issue with that. We are we are happy to. Um, uh, I think I think we still give primacy to male driven narratives and stories and genres, and we um, have a. Uh, there's, there's, there's something that happens when women, particularly desexualized women, are or, or, or women where their sexuality is not at the forefront of the story, are are, are in, at the front of a, a play. Um, right. Okay. Whether, and I think a lot of that's really subconscious in a way we haven't even begun to address yet. Yeah. So, um, but I think I think it's probably weirdly more the, the formal thing. Like she, she's she's made you know anything that is sort of artistically pioneering it's often quite hard for that to have a a vast mainstream audience yes that's i mean i I wanted to is british theater scared then of the more experimental forms is it is does it make does it make the culture nervous or is it just as you said lucy possibly not quite as as mainstream as, as some other forms at the risk of um i think the danger is that we talk about it like that that we that we, okay. we it's a feedback loop whereas if you, if you talk about carol churchill's plays as being difficult when they're not, when they're incredibly entertained they're so funny they're as as we've a number of us have said in different ways they're so grounded in um the experience of a normal average person they're not located in boardrooms they're the about what it feels like to be you know in cloud nine like a, a grandmother who's discovered masturbation for the first time like it like like it, it they're but but what we do is we talk about them as being formally, you know, what I've just done, formally pioneering, and we talk about how they're metaphorical, and we talk about, and and what that gets translated at as in in the cultural narrative is difficult or uh, inaccessible. Whereas actually, you sit with an audience in Escaped Alone, for example, and people are having a whale of a time, and it's not because they've all got PhDs in twentieth century British theatre. Yes. 
Yeah, you're, yes, yes, exactly. And you're right. It, the more it's sort of nailed into the culture, these sort of set set kind of definitions, the more they become self-perpetuating, isn't it? So it, it becomes, yes, you're right, a feedback loop. Lindsay, I wonder... You know, I've, I've never been particularly interested in patriarchy. And, and, I, and I guess it, it all depends on where you put your gaze. So for me, um, Carol Churchill is quite prominent i think it obviously boils down to which theatres prepared to you know um put her work on but um after i saw top girls and then far away i then read everything that i i could so um for, you know and I, and I look on my bookcase and they're all you know there's a lot of her plays and I, she's she's so prominent in in the way that i think and feel about theatre so um yeah i don't feel as if she's kind of missing or or or, or, or her work has, has been ignored. Um, so I just thought I'd had to... Yeah, no, mm. that's... that's, that's no, thanks, that's great. Lindsay, I wondered, as we've, as we've mentioned, you've directed now three major productions of her plays. Are there, obviously, they're all extremely different pieces of work, but are there any things in common that you have learned a director must be particularly attuned to when working on this particular writer's work, are there, are there common elements that, that 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 resonate in each play for you when you you come to direct it? Oh, that's yeah, such an interesting question. Um, I mean, this is true of everybody, but it's a good idea to get all the words right with 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 Carol. Um, she writes so lightly, um, but the work's really, really, really rigorous, and um, I suppose. I've noticed that she's not massively interested in the well-turned line or the bon mot. Right. One of the things I'm astounded by, just take something like Top Girls, is um, how she moves from writing the Top Girls agency with their sort of whizzy, buccaneering pirate ship speak into writing a 12-year-old girl um, into writing uh, a woman who's barely left her own parish and everybody sounds absolutely like themselves. Um, so I've found that throughout the work that I've directed is um, it, like, it, it's, it's, it's all there on the, um, on the page and her ear for um, different, I don't know what the word is, milieu, um, is complete, completely sublime, but mostly it's, it's about joy and humour, yes, um, and a, about a quality of relaxation, um, uh, because I think she's so interested in um, people and such joy in people. Um, it's even if the last two pages of any given play are terrifying, maybe <laughs> we don't need to do that on the first two pages of the play. Yes, you're right. And the joy and the humour and that absolutely feeds into what Lu- the point Lucy made before about they're not they're not the points that are often made about Carol Churchill. She's difficult and that becomes self-perpetuating. And you're right, there's so many other elements and yeah, the joy I like that, the joy and the humour. That's that's no, that's splendid. I was wondering <laughs> really quickly on Lindsay's point, yeah. I think what Lindsay was saying is they're like oh, they're very truthful and un- she makes them sound unwritten, which is their skill, but I do think she that she, she, in terms of crafting single lines, like I just, I think she writes just so exquisitely, just the way she can pack, you know, she packs the snowball, the 
to single lines that you can that you can recall from plays which are just the force of them and the and the bit the economy mostly so like the, the end of um the the in in top girls when they're talking about angie the 12 year old it's angie isn't it the 12 yeah yeah the uh, angie's sort of 16 and kit's 12 Six, yeah, and um, Angie's sixteen, and and they're sort of having this two sisters having this conversation about her, and and just it just sort it, it Marlene just says she's not going to make it, and just like and has just to sum up an entire child's life and those few words, and also kind of a political ideology as well. It just I just think she, that oh, that's, but that's I, I, I like to to agree even more with that. But that that is. That is profound. There's a thing that Angie says in the sort of second scene to her friend. Like she just punched her friend in the in the kidneys, and she yeah. says, "You do like me." Um, and um, if there's a party, why is there so much? But I would more than any other writer, I'd happily get Carol's lines tattooed across my whole body. <laughs> <laughs> but what they're what they're not is that kind of restoration line, that no, truce, no, yeah, truce with your yeah. similitudes, Mister Whitwood. For I am sick of them. Like that <laughs> that that um, the line that you can whip out at the dinner party. Yes, that's yeah. that's no, what no. I mean. Is that they're, they're, they're not coffee they're, house. They're not, they're not they're, coffee house yeah. lines, but they contain multitudes in them, and often it's they're packed with monosyllables. It's yeah. back to this sort of Anglo-Saxon one, two, three, four, five um, uh, structure, rather than this sort of Latin at digga 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 digga. But they're so distilled. It's like all the water and bullshit have been evaporated. Um, Oh, but I think, yeah, this exactly, is what you're left with. That's exactly what I was, I was saying to, to to triple agree with you, Lindsay. It was that's the agreement here. To make those incredibly meaningful lines from things people would actually say, I think is is and it's not it's not just someone sort of crowbarring in. Well, what I really think about the black and tans is like it's, it's <laughs> they're, they're, they're conversational and yet redolent, and I think that's just just so. I mean, just in awe of it. Does, how, as we've discussed now, her, Carol Churchill's work it is very it's very pared back. There's no excess flab or fat or anything on like that on it. Does it take confidence to produce work as stripped back as that? Lines, as Lindsay was saying, that's so sort of pure. There's no there's no excess on them. Does it? Is it? Does that take confidence? I'm, I'm I'm absolutely not the writer, but if you look, if you, she's written a few plays, um, and if you look at um, a Japanese Zen garden, or if you look at Hokusai's Wave, or if you look at Rothko, like just painting in red, there is something unbearably bold about um, uh, an an artist just putting in the hard yards over and over and over again and realising how little they need. And I remember back to Drunk Enough to Say I Love You where I don't think it's right to keep calling this formal experimentation, but she chopped the beginning and the ends off each line. Um, and I don't think that was because she went to the formal experimentation ASDA <laughs> and, pick, and picked that <laughs> off the shelf. I think it was because the the... the the meat was in the middle of the line, so why not just get there? Yes. Isn't it sort of the opposite as well? It's actually a really profound understanding of the basic principles of, of traditional theatre. Like I, I read um, Nick Hearn a couple of years ago published this book, which was called My First Play, and it was loads of 
writers and actors and be talking about their first experience of theatre basically and Carol Carol Churchill's one was I'm gonna misremember this but there was a big part of it which was about her playing theatres with her toys and having a a, a teddy bear who would come and come on and do a bit of a front cloth act and I and it was just I read that just before I saw um Escaped Alone I thought oh Linda Bassett's the teddy bear doing the front cloth <laughs> but you know that that basic that, that that's going back to musical and it's going back to which which and the basic principles of that are you know get get off as soon as you're done like do you know keep hold the audience for as long as you can and then get off the stage because you, know, you don't overstay your welcome and those are like I think I often think it just comes from that and understanding that if you can say it in less words, say it in less words, like it's not, you know, there's no yeah. plans for, 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 you know, very few people who can, um, there's no, yeah, it's not a reward for most words you've written. You no, I mean? no one's saying a sonnet's an inferior form no. because they couldn't actually write. I, I think it's to do with um, the writer's voice as well. And I think, regardless of who you are because I you know I think it's I think it's sometimes dangerous to compare um writers and 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 how they express themselves but it's a personal thing I think that's her style um you know and whether you've got a Caribbean background where rhythm and music are very much part of how you write dialogue um or you know whether it's um whether you've got um a kind of like different background. I, I just think it's. It, I hope I'm making sense. I, I think it, it just boils down to to the confidence of how you express yourself. And as Carol Churchill, she expresses herself very well and confidently. Yes, exactly. Well, I think I think that last point. I think that's probably our cue to say that could be the end. We we could of course talk about the influence of Carol Churchill for an almost infinite amount of time. But as Lucy rightly just pointed out, it's about <laughs> saying your part and then leaving the stage. So I'm sure we all have important lockdown tasks to be getting on with now, like removing cats from keyboards and taking our <laughs> daily dose of exercise before it rains. I'd like to thank Lindsay Turner, Lucy Kirkwood and Juliet Jukes Romero for sharing their insights with me. And of course, to thank you all very much for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Donwell Warehouse podcast. The theatre has closed temporarily, but we are working remotely and coming to you digitally with some very exciting plans in store. Sign up to our newsletter at donwellwarehouse.com, follow at Donwell Warehouse on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, and you'll be the first to hear about our latest online content. And we cannot wait to see you in person before long.